Good morning. Welcome to Morning Matters at 10. My name is Paul Meyert. I'll be your host today. Morning Matters at 10 is part of the ministry of the Acts 17 Accord. We are committed to preparing God's people to live righteous, spirit-filled lives to the end of the age. And we're glad to have you with us today. You can find out more about us at Acts 17 Accord. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, anywhere you want to go, you can find us, I think. So anyway, let's uh, just, I want to pray today. Uh, my son is uh, going through knee surgery, so we're just going to pray for John Mark. Lord, I just pray that you would touch him, touch the surgeons. It's it's happening right now. So Lord, I just pray that you'd cause it to go really well and everything to heal quickly and to restore his to restore his health, Father. So we thank you for these things. Thank you for your plans for our lives. And we just give this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're we're, we're going into a big thing today. Um, this is a uh, very difficult topic and a very um, involved topic. But it's really an important topic. So today we're talking about, does the Bible teach a six-day creation and a young earth? Now, we talked the last two weeks, three weeks, about a young earth. So we know the Bible, I don't believe in a young earth, but what does the Bible teach? That would be another question. Secondly, and really more importantly, and this is what it really comes down to, is does it matter? Um, I've, often I hear Christians say that it doesn't matter if Genesis 1 and 2 are interpreted literally as a six-day creation, as long as we believe God created it all. That's all that really matters. While I believe you can be a faithful believer and accept evolution in millions of years of time, if you recognize God as the creator and the savior of the world, if you do that, yes, you can be a good Christian. You can follow, you're a follower of Jesus. However, I firmly believe, this is strong belief I have, that the rejection of the Genesis record and allegiance to evolutionary belief undermines the entire Christian faith and the Bible. When we reject the most obvious interpretation of the Genesis record, it weakens every scriptural teaching and undermines the authority of scriptures. In fact, I believe that the, the attack on Genesis has led to many, many things that we would that are no longer Christian, but are part of you know, progressive Christianity, liberal Christianity 100 years, 120 years ago. All of these things that they rejected really stem from Genesis. Now, people say, oh, no, it doesn't matter. No, it does. And that's kind of what we did in the last couple of sessions when we talked about, you know, out Galileo and Copernicus and the lies of Lyell and Hutton, how they came in and how they deceived the church and they've led the church astray. And so, you know, we have a, you know, so I believe it's it's very serious. And I, I think what really we need to understand is this. Christianity is not a religion. <laughs> The scriptures are not just religious teachings. They are a worldview. Now, they're a religion because Judaism was a religion. Christianity was, is. They had certain structures. So a religion is the structures of how you're supposed to behave to, to honor God, to glorify God. That's what a religion is. Philosophy is a belief system. Worldview is a belief system. Christianity is based on a biblical worldview. Um it, it's, a, it's a philosophy of life that I believe explains all things. I believe it's the only religion that answers all of life's questions. My wife said today, said it's a guide to the galaxy, right? It literally gives us everything that we need. The faith, living in the faith, and I call Christianity the, the faith, is living in reality. 
everything else on the earth will disappear. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all things will be laid at the foot of Jesus. All the sin, all the destruction, all the pain, suffering, everything, all of the sin, all the sin nature, everything. The earth itself is going to be destroyed at some point and God's literally going to start over. That's a Christian worldview. That's what we believe ultimately. That's what the Christian, the faith actually says. This is the only way. Jesus, Paul said, uh, Luke said, excuse me, Jesus said, he, Jesus actually said, I'm the only way, the only truth, and the only life. No man can get to the Father but by me. So when we start talking about Christianity, we're not talking just about a religion on the corner of church and, you know, all of these things, the history of the church. You know, we're not talking about the history of the world. We're talking about a philosophy that summarizes everything. So when we start talking about undermining that, when we talk about, you know, evolution and creationism, they completely undermine everything that is Christianity. Um, I believe in the Bible and the biblical world because it answers the problems we face. Number one, sin. I was talking to someone yesterday about sin and, and you know, he was a police officer. We we're talking about the, you know, the, the problems that we face in the world. And, you know, the truth is, is that 99, maybe 98 percent of all problems would be solved if everyone on the earth obeyed the Ten Commandments. There'd be no murder. There'd be no stealing. There'd be no lying. There'd be no cheating. You know, there'd be no, no religious wars because we would all be worshiping the creator of the universe. We wouldn't be arguing about this religion or that. So I say Christianity is not a religion. It's a worldview. It's a philosophy. Okay, so there, all problems would be, all problems would be solved. Death, the the fear of death in the future, you know, evil, good in the world. How do they get solved? They get solved by the faith, by Christianity. Nothing can change the heart of a psychopathic killer except Jesus. Nothing can change the heart of a pedophile except Jesus. Nothing can change the heart of anyone except Jesus. No one can make someone stop being a liar except the cross, what Jesus did. The past, the future, present, the future, the only real hope for humanity. What hope does atheism offer? What does it have to offer? Oh, we can get to, they have oh, atheistic churches where they get to them and they sing songs and they do things. But that's not what Christian, that's just a little outgrowth of Christianity. That's not, Christianity is a worldview. It's telling you this is the answer to all things. And all religions provide some answers, but the scripture gives us answers to everything. It gives us answers to everything. The existence of an eternal, all-powerful, just, good creator is the foundation of, for the faith. It's the foundation of all truth. There is no truth, real truth. I mean, there are things that are true, but truth, the foundational truths come from the scriptures and from God. His existence demands the existence of the scriptures. If God is a judge, which he, first of all, we know he exists. He must be good. He must be uh, all powerful. All of these things, the nature, you know, nature tells us that and worldview tells us that. We know there has to be justice. There has to be punishment for sin. If there's no punishment. There's no meaning. Right? So somebody has to judge. Well, who can judge? Well, only the Creator can judge. I can't judge you. It's not my job to judge you. It's not the church's job to judge you. It's not the religion's job, the government's job. We'll judge you for your actions, but we won't give you eternal one way or the other. If God's going to judge us, He has to have a reason to judge us. He has to give us a base, and He has to tell us that. He has to have a basis for which, he, which He's going to judge us for. In other words, if you go into a class and you're, a, you're going into science class, and it's your last class, and it's going to get you into the college you want to get to and you go to in your life and your future, and you go into your science class and they give you a, a class on English literature, a test on English literature, that wouldn't be just, that wouldn't be fair. 
The teacher has to tell you ahead of time, these are the basic things you need to know. God's going to tell us the basic things we need to know. So God's existence and nature demands, his existence and nature demands that there be a scriptures of some sort. There be somebody has to communicate to you, some way he has to communicate to his truth. And then the, if that's true, the scriptures, the scriptures, the way that he communicates to us, must be true and accurate. Right? They must be true and accurate. <laughs> Um, and all that it says, it has to be, for the faith to be the faith, it has to be true. The Bible has to be true. Now, I'm just giving you a philosophy. I'm not proving that the Bible is true. I'm not proving that God exists. I'm just saying, this is reality. Everything we know about Jesus in the Christian faith, we know through the Bible. <laughs> all things we need have been given to us by God. It comes to us through the scriptures. Evolution and an old earth undermines the Bible, which is the basis for faith. So this is so when I talk about this, we're talking about a big picture. We're not talking about a simple argument for God or a simple argument for whether, you know, which at which view of Genesis is accurate. I'm talking about a bigger picture here. And I've given I'm going to give you eight reasons and we won't get through this today. This will be at least two or three weeks. But eight reasons that a young that a, that uh, a young earth matters or a six day creation matters. These this is why they matter. These are the things that I believe matter. Number one, I believe the scriptures teach a young earth and a six day creation. If they teach that, then as a believer in Christ, I need to teach that. Now, I, I people have different views about Genesis and they say, well, it doesn't teach that. Well, we're going to go through a little bit of some of that and I'll show you why it actually teaches it. I think it's a dogmatic teaching. I don't think it's, I don't think it's marginal. I think it's absolute that he teaches that. The fact of the matter is number two, adding long ages of time does not solve the conflict with science. I mean, science says the earth was created as a, as a ball of fire and, and a volcanic and activity and, you know, exploded and it lasted and melted or melted and cooled and all these things, all these processes. And, you know, you can look them up. All the processes that they say with the Big Bang and how the earth eventually cooled. The Bible says something very different. The Bible says he made it out of water and by water. So there's no there's a conflict. There's a conflict with the, the order of creation, the things that it says in Genesis with, with science. There's, there's no simple just saying, oh, we get rid of a day, we've solved the problem. You haven't. There's lots of other problems that have to do with creation. Uh, Peter's prophecies, number three, Peter's prophecies tell us specifically that in the last day, the lies of evolution will be accepted on the earth as a fact. And that's what we have. Peter prophesied that. I talked about that last time, the four prophecies that he had. A fourth reason I believe that it matters is the church no longer speaks with authority. This has been going on really for 200 years. The, the authority of the scriptures, it's, I mean, it's really been going on I mean, through the Middle Ages and all the things that, quote unquote, churches were involved in that were not biblical, were not of God. And the, the danger that they, the things that they did that were so anti-Christian in many ways, um, certainly not pro-Christian, uh, pro-church, um, so we've lost our authority. We don't speak with authority. You know, it used to be, you know, there used to be, the, I don't know if you, you guys are mostly probably too young for this, but there was a commercial, the E.F. Hutton commercial. And it said, and they're, you know, they're on a tennis court, right? And they go, one guy leans over the other and says, well, E.F. Hutton says, and the entire, you know, uh, arena quiets down, right? And everybody turns to listen to what does E.F. Hutton said. It used to be that the Bible had that kind of authority. The Bible says this. It doesn't mean that anymore. We're, we're coming. We're trying to generate. We're trying to figure out ways to be relevant. The church trying to be relevant. Well, we're not relevant because we stopped doing what God said. We stopped believing the word and teaching the word. And again, you know, not just 
legalistically and that kind of thing. But I'm talking about what does the scriptures really teach? What does it say about all of these things that are going on in the world? It has an opinion of everything, including immigration. It has a view. It has a view on, on LGBTQ. You know, it has a view on war. It has a view, you know, all of these things. The Bible has a view. It has a word. It has a direction for it. The Bible speaks to all of these things. But we don't have the right to speak because I believe it started with, the, with evolution. Over the years, millions and millions of people have lost their faith. They've just lost their faith. Now, there's lots of reasons people lose their faith, but much of it has to do with evolution and creationism. All of our universities, once Christian universities, have, have moved away from it. And I can tell you, I can demonstrate it through history, that it came because of the lies of evolution and how that affected it. Number six, I believe it undermines the rest of Genesis. It undermines the flood. Most people don't believe in a global flood. Um, or many, uh, most old earthers don't believe in a global flood or a partial one. Or, you know, they don't believe in, they believe in the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel explains why we have different languages. Marriage is there. You know, the clarity of marriage. You know, if you, once you reject that, then you, you reject Genesis 3. You reject the nature of man, the sin. You reject the relationship between men and women. All of these things, it undermines the rest of Genesis. Genesis 1 through 11 is, has every philosophy going on in the world in there. And once you reject Genesis 1 and 2, then it's, you know, you kind of, well, you, then you kind of, you know, work your way through it. You believe some of it, you know, but not all of it. It's, you know, it's called mythological by many people. Um, so, if God made the heavens, this is, this is number seven, this is a really important one. If God made the heavens and earth out of nothing, it changes the narrative about God. Right now, when we talk about God in the world, they don't. They talk about evolution. Although I mentioned, well, you know, some people believe in God that caused this, and some, you know, but God's not the one. He made everything in six days out of nothing, He spoke it into existence. Now, if that's a reality, that changes everything. Right? You can't have all these arguments if you say those things. You know, this is reality. This is like, hey, that changes who we talk about. What kind of a God are we talking about? The one who made everything in six days. All right? That's different than he guided the hand of evolution and he doesn't really intervene. No. I mean, again... If God didn't create everything, if he does, does he have a personal interest? I mean, God have a personal interest in the uh, in the whales? Well, of course he does. He made them. <laughs> does he care about the environment? Of course he does. It's his environment. But does he care about human beings more? Of course he does. Finally, you have to understand, if the Bible is true, science is wrong. And they need to be called to account for what they've taught and what they've said. I guarantee you, God will eventually hold them accountable for it. And I'm telling you today that these, that as a Christian, and I'm, I'm primarily talking to Christians. I know there's non-believers. I had a guy write me this week, had a nice letter. He, not like he heard everything I said, but he, you know, he was real kind in his, in his comments. And he made comments about, you know, how I don't know this and that I might have a demon about this. But he was nice about it. <laughs> but the point of it is, is that I'm not really trying to convince him to become a Christian right now. I'm trying to talk to Christians. Again, our ministry is dedicated to Christians. I'm I want Christians to understand why these things matter. I want Christians to know that stuff. It's important. This is critical information. And yes, I know it could be divisive in your church if you started teaching a six-day creation because all the scientific types are going to flip out. They go, oh, 
and they're going to want to walk away. You're you're undermining everything for for everybody. You know, uh, it's like, <laughs> you know, William Lane Crane, Craig said this. I read it a couple of weeks ago, but it says the sooner the Christian community gets rid of young earth creation and the creationism, the better. This is an embarrassment for the Christian faith and is creating enormous obstacles to Christian belief among scientifically educated people. The earth and the universe are not 6,000-year-old, and there's no reason biblically to think that they are. We need to shed ourselves of this as a Christian community. That's the problem. That is the exact problem, because it's not just a six-day creation. I'm telling you, it's the whole philosophy. You can hold to that, and William Lane Craig is a great philosopher, and he's, and he's a good apologist. I like him. I'm not against him, but I completely disagree with him with this. I think what he says is a shame and undermines all of Christianity. And it goes, again, that's why I spent two weeks going over the history of Galileo and Copernicus and what Lyell did. Now, the problem is, you know, I mean, often young earth believers are mocked with disdain and ignorant brainwashed backwards rednecks who take every word in the Bible literally, right? So we have this, we have this view that people have at us. But the question is, what does the Bible actually teach? Not what can I make it say? Not what interpretation can I come up with that fits with science? That's not my job. As a Bible interpreter, my job is to understand what the text actually says first, not to try to get the philosophy later. What is it saying? And when we know what it's saying, then you can say, well, how does that fit? Well, that doesn't fit. So what do we do? Now we got to figure out what to do. Either the Bible's right, in my opinion, or science is right. I don't believe they can both be right. And I don't believe they are. I believe science is wrong. <laughs> All right, so what does the Scripture teach a six-day creation and a young earth? Well, the clearest and best exegetical understanding of Genesis is that God created everything in six solar days. It's the simplest way. If you're going to exegete the passage, that's what you would do. If you had no bias, no presuppositions, you would read it and you'd say, well, day is a day. Um, of course, this does create a serious divide between with the scientific community and the model of the Big Bang. Um, so does it do that? Does it, does it really teach that the earth was created in six days, that the earth is young? Well, let me answer the first part. Does it teach that the earth is young? Not directly. What it says, I believe, that God created the earth in six solar days. And that then if you go into Genesis, then you'll, if you follow the whole Genesis 1 through 11, you'll find that there's a genealogy. He talks about this person living, this person. He gives specific dates, how long this person lived, how long this person lived. And it adds up to, you know, between the time of the first day of creation and the flood is about 1600 years, right? That's that period of time. It's about 16, a little over 1600 years. And then Noah and the flood and afterwards, Abraham starts the faith begins, the Judaism begins about 2000 years after creation, approximately. We can't prove exactly all those dates, but that's what it does. So if that's true, then Judaism was 2,000 years before Christ, approximately, before the beginning of the church. And we know it's 2,000 years since the, the church began. We know that history. So you have a history of the earth of about 6,000 years based on the chronolo chronology of, of the text from Genesis 1 you know, to the New Testament. There's about 6,000 years. Now, there are a lot of things that contradict that. There are a lot of, you know, they find something, they find something that's, you know, this, they date this at 11,000, 12,000 years, 
you know, well, that can't be. Then it goes outside of the scriptural norm. Uh, of course, the 4.5 billion and the 15.9 billions are way outside the Christian norm, Christian worldview. Um, but the question is, what's true? Again, it's the book. What do we know about the book? What do we actually know about history? What do we actually know about the age of the earth? And so those are the questions that, that we really have to deal with, but bef- and that we've already really dealt with. But the question really is this, how do we interpret Genesis 1? And again, I'm not trying to answer science. I'm not trying to respond to science. That's not my job. I'm a pastor. I'm a Bible interpreter. My job is not to resolve my conflict with science. I've resolved it for myself. I get it. I know, in my opinion, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that the earth is not old. It's not billions of years old at all. I don't think it's older than 10,000 years. I mean, there could be some of the genealogies could be missing. There's reasons to say it could be a little longer than 6,000 years. But there's no reason to say it's more than 10. And even the dating things that happen, there's explanations for those. There's explanations for everything. So the question is, what are you going to believe? You're going to believe the book? You're going to believe science? So I'm saying, what does the book say? So we can actually believe it or not. To begin with, we need to understand what is a literal interpretation. Because this is one of the biggest things um, that people say about it. Well, you're, you're just a literalist. You take everything literal in the Bible. And Well, what does it mean? What is a literal interpretation? Well, in hermeneutics, the assertion that a biblical text is to be interpreted according to the plain meaning conveyed by its grammatical construction and the historical context. Uh, the literal meaning is held to correspond to the intention of the author. St. Jerome, an influential biblical scholar of the 4th and 5th centuries, championed the literal interpretation of the Bible in opposition to what he regarded as the excesses of allegorical interpretation. So what happened, people began to, you know, I think it was, oh, I can't remember his name now. <laughs> he was really famous. I didn't know why he went for me. But he was big into allegory. Everything was allegorical, right? And so... You know, there, and if you go throughout the history of Christianity, the history of Christianity, you're going to find Bible interpretation is the key to everything. How do people interpret the Bible? Did they interpret it right? They interpret it wrong. Because the Bible is only the actual word of God when it's interpreted properly. You can say all kinds of things about the Bible. It doesn't mean it's true. What makes it true is what does the text actually teach? This is why it's so important that we get Genesis right. It's the first chapter. It's the clearest. So what is the most reasonable understanding of the, of the word day in Genesis? A literal interpretation, which, what, a literal interpretation. what is the plain reading of the text? For instance, the word day is used with slightly different definitions of Genesis 1 and 2. So what does a day mean? There are several, cha- there are several choices, a 24-hour period of time that it takes for the earth to rotate on its axis. There are 24 hours in a day. A, a period of daylight between dawn and dusk. It's hotter during the day and cooler at night. We use day that way, but it's still, you know, you're saying the daylight time, but you're actually still referring to a 24-hour period. You're just saying half of it is the daytime. Half of it is nighttime. It doesn't change. It doesn't mean it's billions of years. It's just defining that morning and evening or light and dark. It can also mean an unspecified specified period of time. Back in my father's day. Right, We use that, and, and, and he uses it in chapter 2. He says, in the day of creation. So he uses it there as a period of time. Right, It didn't mean billions, but it, it, I mean, in the context, it would mean the six days that he did. So let's just look at this. Six, and I'm, you, can, you can follow with your Bibles. There's just too much to go through, but I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read from my notes for you. So six times God declares that the work of creation between evening and morning was called day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Clearly, in each of these cases, it's evening and morning. 
What does that mean? Daylight and darkness. 24 hours. Clearly, when God, when Moses uses that phrase, it's using it as a 24-hour period. Now, you can take the word day and it, the word yom, it can mean an age, it can mean other things. But when he uses evening and morning, he's giving you a context where he's specifically saying it's, it's a 24-hour day that we know. The Hebrew, Hebrew word for day is yom, is the word yom. It normally uses, its normal uses is of a 24-hour period of time, which includes daylight and night. Excuse me. When used with a numeral, it almost always means a solar day. When used with the phrase evening and morning were day one, day two, etc., clearly it indicates a 24-hour period. Now, there are people who go, well, that means beginning and end, you know, or from created to not created. Look, at, when you interpret something, when you translate the Bible, find me any translation that doesn't say evening and morning, day one. No one ever translates it any differently. So people use all kinds of ways to try to get around it. But again, we're just trying to say, what does the text say? And again, when you interpret the Bible, you take what it says, you try to understand how it would have been seen from the people who wrote it, or the author's perspective, the people who would heard it, what they would have understood, and the historical context of people all around them. And I think if you take the, if you take Genesis 1, you know, it's one of the things that um, Dennis Prager talks about in his book on, on, on Genesis. This is revolutionary in the period of time that it was written. I mean, nobody believed in that. There were polytheists. Everyone was a polytheist all around them. And they, were, they believed in all of these weird philosophies about, about creation and stuff. So when, when the Bible comes on, it comes on in, in a, just this powerful, clear statement. It's why the Bible has authority. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, not, well, that happened over billions of years, you know. I mean, it kind of takes away the little punch, you know what I'm saying? It's like, okay. So he didn't really do it. He kind of watched for 4.5 billion years and then did something, right? I mean, it, it doesn't have the same power. And he was talking about one God, and he talks about the creation of the world. as And, and it's, it's physical. It's not, you know, hey, my mother got caught in half, and half of, you know, God just got cut in half, half up in the heavens, half of, the, you know, all of these weird things. It's not that. He's a very clear thing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and without void. And he said, let there be light. And light came. Okay, well, that makes sense. That would be one of the first things you would need is light. A source of light, daylight. You know, it creates light. You know, then he creates and brings the waters and separates the waters, separates the heavens. Then he separates, you know, then he separates the land mass and the seas. And, you know, then he grows fruit. And then, you know, he creates the sun and the stars. And then he creates, you know, animals, sea animals, and then land animals, and then Adam and Eve, right? You know, it's like, okay, you know, it's a very rational, logical thing. It's not like it's just come, you know, they cock it a myth, but it's not mythological, it's not a myth at all. It's, it's just very plain and simple. This is how he did it, and it makes perfect sense. In fact, if you take creation, or if you take evolution, and you take these billions of years of time, you end up in exactly the same place that God is on day six, when he created Adam and Eve. It's no different. It's just what they've done is they've, they've twisted it and added all of these billions of years because of naturalism and the assumptions of an old earth. That is why they add those things. That's why they believe in the Big Bang, because they can't believe in the supernatural creation. They have to be, has to be supernatural. 
or it has to be natural. It can't be supernatural, but they can't explain. That doesn't explain everything at all. The point of it is you end up at the same place. You have Adam and Eve on day one. With evolution, it's taken millions and billions of years for this to happen. And God, he said, he just did it. So who does that speak to? What does that speak to about God? Somebody who took billions of years to do it or somebody who just spoke it into existence? I'll take the guy who spoke it into existence because you end up at the same point. Adam, eventually, he had to be a man. He had to be a male and had to be a female there for the, for the human race to exist. And they had to be a childbearing age and they had to have food and water and shelter and everything they needed for how many millions of years, according to evolution, before all of this happened? Well, all these things are randomly taking place. What if Adam, it wasn't Adam and Eve, it was Adam and Evan, you know, how does that work? And then you have no, nothing. Then all that evolution was for nothing. So you have to have to have two human beings that evolve separately and come together at the right moment in time for there to be children. It's just, it's, it doesn't make any sense. It just undermines that. He, he's clearly, this is a simple, this is a straightforward, logical, rational explanation for the universe. And I'm tired of people saying that you're foolish and stupid if you believe this. No, you're rational and organized and understand reality if you believe this. This is reality. God created it. Again, so... You know, when you when you see the whole picture, the whole philosophy, it makes way more sense. Um, Moses, one of, the, one of the ways we interpret the Bible is is we interpret from from the immediate context and all that, and the historical context. I started to say that we also interpret from the rest of the Bible. Now we know that Moses is the author. Of course, if you're a liberal scholar, you don't believe that. But I believe Moses was, was the author, and I don't mean he wrote every word, but he gathered the information, put it together, edited, put it into the book of the Torah, the the the, the Torah, first five books of the Bible. Now Moses. So when you interpret the Bible, you're going to interpret by what the rest of the Bible says as well. It's got to fit with that. So Moses speaks to, he speaks to Genesis one. He speaks to what it means in Genesis one, right? He clarifies what he exactly what he meant when using Yom in Genesis 1. He does this in Exodus 20, 11. He says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore he blessed the Sabbath day, Sabbath day and made it holy. Now many people say, Why? He created for six days and he rested, and then he period this period of rest. Right? So that could be any length of time, right? So every day could mean any length of time. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying he created for six days. And he did all of these things in a logical order. He did that for us. Set up the sun and the moon and the stars for times and seasons. All the things that it does. Everything reproduces after its own kind. There was food for Adam to eat. There was water. There was sun. There was protection. Everything he needed, he lived in a perfect world. And the seventh day, he said, was not a period of time. The seventh day, and he makes that very clear here. He says, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day right? 24 hour period of time and made it holy. What do the Jews, how do the Jews celebrate? What do they do? They celebrate the Shabbat. When? Friday evening to, uh, to Friday evening to um, Saturday evening. That's Shabbat. It's one day, 24 hour period, night and dark, night and day. Again, in Exodus 31, he says this, the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, Shabbat, celebrating for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign for me a sign between me and the Israelites forever. 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Refreshed. So Moses is clarifying and making absolutely certain what he meant in Genesis 1 and 2. What a day was. And understand that at the very beginning in Exodus 20, verse 1, it, it talks about these are the very words of God. These are God's words. These are the words he, scroll, he wrote in a tablet of stone. These are his words. The Ten Commandments are his commandments to the universe, to the world, to every human being. This is God's word. He wrote it. He said it. We can't just cavalierly cast that away. And if you do, you're really missing something very important. So Moses twice, twice creates a state, makes a statement that clarifies what he meant in Exodus chapter 20. Again, the Sabbath day with creation was a day long. Um, one Sabbath day for each week. Sabbath day was not a period of time or an age of rest. It is the one day in the seventh set apart for us to honor God, his creation of all things. And it's the seventh day of one week, Jesus said. Now, the Christian church generally worships on Sunday. I wish we worshiped on Saturday, but we don't. Um, but you can go to a Shabbat. I've been to a, a Jewish congregation, spent time there as a member. And they were every Saturday. Um, Jesus said this, my father is always at work to this very day. And I, too, am working. But this is the story. When Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, on the, Sabbath the Jews got all upset. With him. How can you do this, right? So my father's always at work to this day. And I, too, am working. So when he says God entered the rest, God never stopped working. He never did at all. It means he stopped creating on that seventh day. And, and then he did it for us so that we would enter a day, take a day off. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Shabbat as the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So that's a whole other conversation we'll have. But basically what he's saying, he's, again, he's confirming that the seventh day was the day of rest. Not for him so much as it was for us, because he's always at work. God never stopped working. He stopped creating. All right. So we... <laughs> So we have this, this, this conflict. So let's go this. Um, talked about Galilee and Copernicus. I'm going to skip this section here. Okay, so, so not only do we see that Genesis, I think, clearly makes a day a day, a seven-day period or a 24-hour period. The statements from Jesus himself support a young earth and a six-day creation and contradict all the other theories. Now, you've got a bunch of them, you know, progressive, day-age, um, what are some of the others? Um, the gap theory. There's lots of theories that people have about about um, Genesis one that they have come up with, and you know, to try to resolve the conflict between evolution and creationism. But the statements of Jesus are are very are, are very important. Jesus replied to them, speaking to the Jewish leaders. He said, "But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. The beginning of creation. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become flesh." By the way, there's two genders again, male and female. Now, if you're confused in your psychology, I understand that. I'm not mad at you. You're not my enemy. I don't hate you, but you're confused. And you need to come back to the book. The book says there are two genders. So why do you feel the way you do? Well, let's talk. <laughs> Find a psychologist, therapist, or someone who can help you figure out why you're feeling the way that you are. Uh, but it's just your feelings. It doesn't change reality. This is reality. Again, Christianity is reality. Reality, God made a male and female. That's a fact. That's not ever going to change. No matter what you do, only a woman, biological woman, can have a child. 
I don't care whether you call yourself a woman or when you're not, you're not. <laughs> so, um, so they will become two flesh. That is what God has joined together. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Here, Jesus is not only defining and defending marriage between a man and a woman, but a young earth. He infirms what, infirms, affirms what Moses wrote in Genesis 3. Also, you can't say that God created Adam Eve at the beginning of creation and reconcile that with scientific belief that the creation of Adam Eve was 4.5 billion years after creation. It's a clear contradiction. So, I mean, this whole thing is, is so irrational to me. Oh, we got 4.5 billion years that it took to create the earth. And then, you know, in whatever human history we have, maybe 10 to 15,000 actual years, not even that, depending on how they date certain things. I don't believe they're dating them right. But if you can give them 15,000, if you give them 50,000, it's literally a, a drop in the bucket compared to 4.5 billions. So if Jesus says he created them at the beginning of creation, it contradicts the lie of evolution. He makes a similar statement in Matthew. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. So again, he's saying the same thing. From the beginning, the creator made them. Again, these statements under and undermine anything evolution says. They're in complete contradiction. You cannot resolve those. You can't have 4.5 billion years between the creation of the earth and the creation of Adam and Eve and say that God created Adam and Eve at the beginning. Another one, the fourth day of creation is, is day one of creation. This is kind of the latest story I've heard rejecting a six-day creation, that there was no day until the sun was created on day four. Therefore, the implication is that in the, in the first three days were of undetermined length. This goes along with other scholars like John Lennox, and he's a great guy. I like this guy a lot. Seriously, I, I love him, many of the things he says. But in this, he subtly mocks young earth creationists with statements of how the church was wrong in the past about scientific ideas. So they are probably wrong right now. So, you know, when Galileo and Copernicus, it goes back to that same thing. We were wrong. We were embarrassed. So we, don't, we could be wrong now, too. And I'm saying to you, no, they're not the same. Just because we made a mistake in the past doesn't mean we're making a mistake now. They don't correlate. That's not clear thinking. The difference, the belief that the earth was the center of the universe was never clearly delineated in scriptures. That was the thing that people argued over. Psalm 19.4 says the sun galloped across the sky. It's clearly a figure of speech. Even if, even if it was saying that, you know, the earth, the sun revolves around the earth, it's galloped. You know, it's not like, you know, like a horse. You know, it's, okay, so that's poetic. And basically, I believe it was written from the human perspective. The, the, the psalmist looked and said, oh, looks like the sun's revolving around us. When in the bigger picture, it doesn't work the way. In fact, I've seen pictures of all of these spirals. It's pretty amazing how the solar system works. Next time, we'll continue to look at this and we'll go through another, some of the other aspects of it. We'll look at the other seven reasons why this really matters. Scriptures teach a young earth in a six-day creation. I believe that's true. Adding long ages of time does not solve the conflict with science. That may solve some things, but it doesn't solve everything. Peter's prophecies tell us that the last days... In the last day, the lies of evolution will be accepted on the earth. The church no longer speaks with authority. Millions have lost their faith. It undermines the rest of Genesis. It changes the narrative about who God really is if he made it in six days. And again, either the Bible is wrong or science is wrong. And this is what it really comes down to. And I have a summary statement here I'll read to you. Uh, the proposition, if the Bible is the word of God and is true in all that it says, then this must be our starting point. 
the place we plant our flag and refute anything that opposes that reality. The Bible is either true and the absolute word of God or it is not. If the earth is billions of years old and that can be proved, then the Bible is clearly wrong and it's not the inspired word of God. That's my view. And I've said to you before, and I'll say it again, I don't believe that science has proved that. I know they think they have. I had somebody write me this week. Oh, science has proved this, and it gave me this, and it gave me this. No, it's not proof. It's based on conjecture. So as we go through this, we'll continue to look at what the Bible says and why a young earth creation matters. All right, thanks again for your time. Uh, bless you. Hope you have a great week. 